0: Epiphany is this time of the year that follows Christmas when we are called to go tell it on the mountain. And what the it is that we are to tell is that Jesus Christ is born. And last week we heard that beautiful uh, No Outsiders um, music that was was played uh, and sang. That says that the cross is the open door. There are no outsiders to God's love. And that is a wonderful Epiphany message. We gather here to say, um, during this time of year, that the focus of the church should not so much be on me, but should be on how God equips me to share with the world in need, or to share with others, or to be that go-tell-it-on-the-mountain person that goes and proclaims God's love to others. Today, my sermon message is going to be Master Conducting, and we're going to be looking at Uh, the letter to the Corinthians. And we're going to be opening that letter, the first chapter, or or the uh, first Corinthians, the twelfth chapter, beginning with the fourth verse. So if you brought your Bible, you can find us there. But I want to make a statement before I read this particular text. And I'm going to read it in segments so that I can uplift a few things about this statement. I think the twelfth chapter of the first letter to the Corinthians is a chapter where we see... Um, the issues that Paul faces perhaps at their, uh, their height of, uh, of, of, of complexity. And, and I want to say that Paul wrote to the Corinthians as he wrote to all of the churches that he pastored. Paul's words basically make up a third of the New Testament. And Paul's words to his churches are all about conflicts those churches are facing. So think about that. At least a third of uh, the writings that we call sacred in our Bible, the New Testament, are about the church dealing with conflicts, with matters of of, uh, contention or squabbling. And Pastor Paul, the evangelist, the strategist, is trying to rectify things, is trying to bring the focus on to unity. It, It could be argued that nearly half of the New Testament is to the church, Talking about unity. And here we are 2,000 years later in this season of epiphany. Uplifting this ancient letter that was written 2,000 years ago. And we're talking to the church that still exists in power today. And we talk about unity. And how our focus should be not on us but on how we reach out to a world in need. It's amazing. Let's all stand for the reading of God's word. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the power of Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. And to another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And all of these are activated by the same Spirit. Who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. Now let me say that what we're talking about here is that no one is left giftless as far as God is concerned. All of us are gifted. Maybe we don't find our gift listed in this spiritual gifts listing that Paul provides. But all of us are gifted for the purpose of reaching the world, reaching others for Christ. So let's continue to the end. For just as the body is one, as many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For the one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Gentiles, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of the one Spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Take a seat. A few days ago, I went to a memorial service for uh, Rosie Benton. Rosie, with her husband, Dr. Don Benton, who is our pastor emeritus, served with Don here for 18 years when Don was the pastor of Lover's Lane. From 1977 to 1995. Rosie was an accomplished musician in her own right. And at her service, there was represented all kinds of music. We sang, How Great Thou Art to start. And in the body of the, the service, we sang that old kind of country gospel spiritual. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. There was a soloist who sang a Latin piece. And Don's brother, who's, a, who's a, 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 an announced cowboy singer in his own right, he sang and played the guitar a wonderful rendition of Blessed Assurance, Jesus' is Mine." I mean, the music in this service was so eclectic, so varied, that after it was over, I made a comment to Don about how beautiful the service was and how I particularly enjoyed the music. And he said this, Rosie loved all types of music, and we want to have a service reflecting her love of all types of music. Now this may shock some of you here today, But here at Lover's Lane, not everybody likes all types of music. Did you know that? In fact, there's a gentleman who goes to the traditional service. He won't even enter the room until all of the music is done. I kid you not. And he said, when I asked him, why don't you come in earlier? I see you out there wandering in the foyer. He says, I don't like that operatic music. (laughs) Don't tell Jimmy, it'll hurt his feelings. But I mean, uh, several years ago, I realized that, that, that worship is not a one-size-fit-all. You know, you have people who not only um, uh, li- like the worship venues that are different, but they also like music that's different. I mean, in here at Lover's Lane, we have uh, two different kinds of African services that have different kinds of music and worship in different languages because we recognize that, um, even on the continent of Africa there's difference uh, in, in music and in, in one size doesn't fit all and there are those who like it served up with the choir and organ there are those who like music served up with the band and, and, and we're just eclectic when it comes to our musical tastes but I am especially thankful for our conductors here aren't you? I mean, Jimmy Emery, I know some of you, um, you slum over in the traditional service from time to time, or you go to one of the music concerts, and you, you see how wonderful Jimmy Emery is. He's such a spiritual man, uh, and, and the way he, he directs the choir. The choir can be singing, an orchestra can be uh, playing, and the organ can be going on. He has this little stick, and he's bringing everybody in at the right time. It's just amazing. And Cheryl, who plays our organs in all of our traditional venues. Do you know Lover's Lane has four different organs here? I think we lead in organ production here at Lover's Lane. And Cheryl Sebo plays those organs. And the way she plays them uh, and and also directs the bell choirs and all that she does musically, it's just amazing. And our own Dee Dee Jones here in the modern worship. I love the way, yeah. (laughs) Dee Dee, was that you back there? (laughs) I love the way Dee Dee leads our modern band. I love our modern band. They are so spiritual. They are are such leaders. Not only are they fantastic musicians, but they know how to bring us into worship, right? And and that doesn't just happen. That happens with a lot of good work and a lot of uh, prayer that I know this band is all about. And I love Emily Fry. You know, she's the one who conducts our children's uh, choir that we call Kids Sing. Now, not only are those kids cute, if you've seen them before, you know what I'm talking about. They come from 10 or 12 different countries, and and they sing with with great precision. They are well coached. They not only look good, they sound really good, especially for a children's choir. So we are so blessed by our gifted conductors. You know, all of this has reminded me of an experience that I had when I was in the 6th grade at the Chandler Elementary School. Would you all like to hear about it? Okay, I'm going to tell you whether you want to hear about it or not. But more than 45 years ago, when I was a 6th grader, do the math, Mrs. Margaret Saunders was our music teacher. She was very strict. She also taught geography to 4th graders and 5th graders. But she taught the 4th, 5th, and 6th graders music all at the same time, twice a week. And the 4th and the 5th graders in our, our, our choir, uh, they had to sing music, but the 6th graders had a special treat in that all the 6th graders in Ms. Margaret Saunders' music program played a flute, all of us, there were 24 of us and we all played a flute. Now, the flute that we played wasn't really a flute-flute. It had a whistle on the end of a, a little metal tube. And the tube had six holes, as I recall. And you had your fingers on the flute, and you blew into this whistle, which was, uh, you know, nobody would make a mistake blowing into a whistle. I mean, it was, it was really foolproof. And if you played a middle C, for example, you lifted your fifth finger, okay? So the only hole that was all open was the fifth hole, which made a C. Okay, And for an E, you lifted another finger and so on and so forth. I think you get what I'm talking about. And we all could play and we did in unison. You heard 29 flute players, 6th graders, play songs in unison while the choir sang. Do you get the picture? And, and we had a spring concert every year. And we worked very hard on that spring concert, and the news got out all over town, so nearly everybody in chow- town showed up at the gymnasium where we had our concerts. And the gymnasium was one of these w p a buildings you know that had the iron ore rock, it was built out of iron ore rock, and the gymnasium smelled exactly like an old gymnasium supposed to smell, and it, it had these 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 bleachers that basically became the seats for the audience, and they were painted battleship gray. And you know, on the floor, they also had additional chairs for the audience because we had an overflow crowd. And then you had chairs for the choir and chairs for the flute choir. And my goodness, what memories. Now, my sixth grade year, we played an Americana concert. Now, get this in your mind. We all wore blue pants and a white shirt. We had these little Uh, Derby style hats, turn of the century hats That had a red, white and blue band around them And you had this 4th and 5th grade choir Singing these classical Americana uh, songs And the flute choir playing one note at a time in unison Oh Susanna, Camp Town Races You're a grand old flag And America and on and on we went At one point in the concert, I got to lay down my flute and pick up my guitar. And and I went to a a little mic area, and I played my guitar. And I played with the choir singing and the flutes playing. This land is your land. And when we got through with this land is your land, unlike the other songs that we played, the, 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 the crowd just broke into applause. Now, I think it had nothing to do with my playing the guitar. I think it had everything to do with them hearing at least one other instrument that was playing a different tune than all the flute choirs playing together. But I remember what a, a wonderful experience that was. But most of all, I remember Mrs. Saunders. I got to do her memorial service a few months ago. I remember how she could conduct this choir while playing the piano, while making sure Alton McKinney didn't put a tack in somebody's chair, and she could play and conduct and keep the choir and the flutes and even me all on the same place. Pretty amazing. Now, think about the Apostle Paul this morning as a master conductor. Now, I know Paul has this metaphor that he uses. It has to do with the body of Christ. And we remember how he says, you know, the body is not all one part. You know, we're different parts of the body. And the different parts have their different gifts. And, you know, if the whole body was an ear, how could we see? If the whole body was an eye, how could we hear? You know, and on and on and on. He talked about how the body, you know, was hanging together and was all important. And no gift was unimportant. But let's think this morning in terms of another metaphor. Let's think in terms of the Apostle Paul, this pastor, evangelist, strategist, who was all about spreading the good news, going and telling it on the mountain that Jesus Christ not only is born, but his cross opened the door. And there are no outsiders related to God's love. I want us to think about how this master conductor. He moved around to his different cities, to Thessalonica and Philippi and Ephesus and Corinth, and in this early church that started become um, that, that that started being made up of all different kinds of people with all different kinds of gifts coming together under one banner, and that was the banner of Jesus Christ, and all the conflicts that that produced within those congregations. Let's just look at Corinth this morning. Corinth was this great cosmopolitan city. Scott said a lot about Corinth last week. The city was famous, it was like a piccadilly circus of uh, of people. It was said about Corinth that if you stood in one place for long enough you would meet everybody in the world right there in Corinth. I don't know if that was true. But the point is that people were coming through Corinth, this great seaport, um, in in massive numbers. In fact, you had to go all the way around the peninsula of Greece to get to Corinth, or the land stretch between Corinth and and, uh, the Aegean Sea was so short that, that you could actually put ships, and some did, on logs and could roll those ships across land to make it to the Gulf of Corinth. All is to say that however you got there, Corinth was a, it was a going place and people were coming from all over. It, it was also a rowdy place. It was a place of, of disorder, even immorality. The ancients said about people who were rowdy and unruly, you're acting like a Corinthian. That's the kind of reputation Corinth had. And in Corinth, there was this sacred tipple, temple of... Um, of, of the Greek to the Greek love goddess Aphrodites where it was said that there were a thousand uh, priestess prostitutes who resided there and in Corinth Paul had led the leader the Jewish leader of the synagogue to Christ And so you had all of these committed Jews there in the church in Corinth. And as you were reaching out to people, you were bringing people to Christ from literally all over the world who were going from Corinth and spreading Christ literally all over the world. So you had this wonderful um, aspect of Corinth being this great hub of evangelism. And you had the church that resided there just full of diversity that produced conflict. Because not everybody saw everything alike. It was said about the Lord's Supper that it was turning into this drunken party on the bread and the wine. So Paul addresses the needs that he had in Corinth. And nearly from the beginning, the Corinthian fellowship was cliquish. Some claimed to be followers of Apollos. Scott talked about this last week. and You know, Apollos, we don't know much about Apollos, but Apollos perhaps was seen as kind of uh, thin theologically, and some might even say was more liberal or progressive. Uh, Certainly than was Peter, who Peter, of course, was more of the traditionalist, the original uh, uh, apostle that that Jesus said on this rock I'm going to build my church. So that's who Peter was. And, of course, Paul was perhaps lean theologically more traditional, But when it came to proclamation of the gospel, he was so progressive. He understood there are no outsiders and and the cross is the open door. He got that. In fact, in the ninth chapter of this first letter to the Corinthians, Paul said this. I think this is amazing. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in the gospel's blessings. Do you hear that? So Paul was not so bound theologically that he missed the main point, which was to offer Christ to a world in need. He was not so bound theologically that he thought everybody had to become a Jew first before they became a Christian. He was not so bound theologically that that he couldn't understand that the main thing is still the main thing and the main thing in following the way Jesus did it was to offer Christ to everyone. So Paul had to ask the question, not just of the Corinthians but of several of his churches in so many words. Is Christ divided? His church at Corinth was squabbling. I don't know if we find comfort in this as United Methodists or even sometimes at Lover's Lane or even sometimes maybe in Thrive that sometimes we may have disagreements. But but I, I hope that we, not, we, we don't find as much comfort in that is that we recognize that the church is made up of people. And the great work of the Holy Spirit is to keep the people not being people of uniformity, as you heard last week, but people who are united by Christ. United even in the midst of our diversity. United not to just play one note, but... United like an orchestra is united in that we play different instruments, different gifts, different talents, even different notes so that we form a chord. And the chord is about Jesus Christ. In the church in Corinth, there were these cliques there was the utterance of wisdom group and the working of miracles bunch and there was the prophecy people and the discernment of spirits set and the various kinds of tongues clan and the interpretation of tongues cluster. But later on in that chapter, Paul describes we're all the body of Christ. Many parts, one body. Many parts, working for the one head of the body, the Christ. Now I want to ask us a question this morning. What if we think of the church of Christ as a divine orchestra conducted by Jesus? You know, I think that we, we know that there are some people out there who are looking for a church that plays one note. They're, they're looking for a church where everybody thinks basically the same thing and believes basically the same thing. And therefore, if you find a church like that, you'll find a church that never squabbles. Guess what? It's just a matter of time. If there are churches like that, those churches also face the same conflicts. Because I don't think the church was ever meant to be a church that plays one note. Whatever spiritual gifts or talents one brings to Christ's orchestra, it is God who is the one who directs. And it is God who directs toward unity. Unity in the church. Paul knew that it was not Apollos, it was not Peter, it was not he himself That could direct the church. But only the spirit of the living God around the Christ of our faith. So much of the New Testament is about the church in conflict. And so much of the the uplifting gospel is about Christ as our unity. You know I think in the midst of our orchestra here in Thrive. Let's just talk Thrive for a minute. When we are focused on our master conductor, and no, that's not Reagan. It's not Scott. It's not Dee, It's the Christ whom they uplift. Then we realize that whatever gifts we bring to the table, that we come into this place, we come into this fellowship, not as those who are an audience, But those who are participants and who are empowered here so as to be sent out there to meet a world in need and to bring them Christ. Now, now, what about those who listen to us and who watch us, who are, in essence, the audience? Out there, there are those who struggle with children... And they're hoping their children will be people of faith. There are those who struggle with their marriages. And other relationships that are stressed right now. There are those who deal with with addictions of one kind or another. And who need recovery. There are those who are sick and they're diagnosed with Challenges of illness that they've never faced before. There are those who are seeing their financial world or their job becoming the big question mark in their life. There are those who know that retirement is just coming tomorrow and wondering if they're ready. There are those who are retired and wondering what on earth am I to do now? There are those who are seeking purpose and meaning and who are begging for hope. If in fact we are called to be Christ's orchestra. And if we do believe that just like the church forever and ever amen... Is made up of only gifted people whom God has gifted. I ask you, what is your gift? You you may not find yourself in Paul's list of spiritual gifts. I'm not looking for those of you who uh, can speak in tongues over on the side a little later on. I'm not looking for those of you who think you have the gift of knowledge or wisdom. But I'm talking about your gift. Your gift that has given you a profession, your gift that that people talk about when they talk about um, your your abilities. I'm talking. You know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about your gifts. We friends are called to use those gifts. They're like our instrument. We're called to play, and we're called to play in harmony with this, the church, to attract people. Whom I've described out there. To a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You know what I hope more than anything else. During this epiphany time of the year. When we talk specifically about going and telling it on the mountain. That each of us can make a commitment. Or, or maybe pray. Pray. That God will use us and our gifts to bring someone to that saving relationship with Jesus Christ this year. I pray that everyone will understand that God will direct you in using your gifts to address the needs of others. And so don't get hung up on what you say or what you do. God will lead your steps. God will guide you in what you're to say. And the most simple thing to say is, hey, come with me to church. I don't know if you'll find it like I find it, but God meets me there. And I find myself in the midst of this it's kind of like an orchestra and when the, the band sings and plays and y'all can come on up here if you'd like and when the preachers preach it, it's like they're sharing their gifts too because the only one who seems to be conducting is the Holy Spirit toward the person of Jesus Christ who calls us into a world of need to uplift Not just that Jesus Christ is born, but that the cross of Christ is the open door. There are no outsiders to God's love. Friends, let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for bringing us together as your orchestra. We thank you for the Apostle Paul. In his keen insights and how in sharing to a local congregation like ours 2,000 years later his words are still ringing true in our ears Lord make us the people who see our gifts who acknowledge that we are so gifted because of you that together you call us into a world of need to share those gifts to attract others to you thank you Lord for who you are and how you have saved us and made us new help us Lord to see that there are those out there not outsiders but those who yet are yet to know you as we hope they will. Use us, Lord. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.